I'm going to forego the joke because I just want to jump right into the, to the text. I tell you, sometimes when the Lord is uh, putting and preparing uh, a sermon, some of them, all of them get you fired up, but some of them you're just like, all right, everybody sit down, be quiet, it's time for a sermon. God's got a message. And I tell you, I think he's got a very applicable message for us uh, today, not because I put it together, but because God has preordained it before we even got here that we were going to be talking about this today and, and looking at this psalm. So if you would, please bow your heads with me as we ask God to bless this time of study together. Father, I thank you for your grace and your mercy that so freely has been given to us through Christ. Lord, I thank you that you have allowed us and afforded us the opportunity to, to know you, Lord. But not just to know you, but to be known by you. Lord, I thank you that the grace of your son Jesus through the cross, Lord, brought us back to you when we were estranged. That your love came beckoning for us to, to come home where we belong. Father, thank you for that. And it's in the midst of that love and that appreciation and that thankfulness that we gather here today. We come because of Jesus, for if it were not for Him, this gathering of people would be just that, a gathering of people. There'd be nothing special about it. Lord, we can rejoice because Christ gave Himself as atonement for our sins, but yet rose again. We greatly rejoice, and Lord, if it had not been for Christ, there would be nothing to rejoice for. So thank you for Him. And we read this word, Lord, in eager anticipation of how you will use it to draw us closer to Him and closer to your heart. May we follow in the footsteps of Jesus, follow His example of loving the Scriptures, knowing them, Lord, and seeking to live them out. Not to just be hearers of the Word, but also doers of the Word as you call us to, Lord, in your Word. Father, may it mean something to us today what we hear by your Spirit, but may it mean something even more to you by what we hear and what we do. We pray these things and ask a blessing over this time together that it may be your words, not mine, that the Spirit may speak in the name of Jesus. Amen. If you would, please open your Bibles with me to Psalm chapter 51. Psalm chapter 51, if you don't have your Bibles, that's quite all right. You can grab a pew Bible or you can look in your bulletin or on the screen. Uh, it's in so many different facets of our viewing uh, this morning. Psalm chapter 51. It reads like this. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me, Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. 
Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore me to the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will treat, teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God. You who are God my Savior and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart you, O God, will not despise. May it please you to prosper Zion, to build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in the sacrifices of the righteous and burnt offerings offered whole. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. For those of you who may be just joining us in this series, or just a reminder for those who have been in it with us for the past few weeks, we are in a study of dangerous prayers. We've begun our new vision for the year with a study in prayer. We choose to be rooted first in prayer. And we find that there are some prayers that we pray that are absolutely 100% dangerous volatile whenever they leave our lips because they have the ability to transform us as well as put the devil on the run because God has captured the depths of our heart and begun to do a wonderful work within us. That's what makes these prayers dangerous because of the potential that they have to shake up our lives, to change our families, to change our world when people who are called by the name of the Lord, choose to be a people who not only give lip service to God, but heart service as well. The psalm that we have read this morning comes on the heels of a great injustice that had been committed, but no one intended for it to go as far as it did, as quickly as it did. The Bible describes King David as a man after God's own heart. Yet even those who are seemingly closest to God are still at great risk, if not even greater risk, of falling prey to their humanity. Sound familiar to anyone? Not just maybe us personally, but in our world in general. How many times have we seen Christian leaders fall and fall hard and hurt the Christian community, hurt those who are serving and Hurt the world in total. About the times when a loved one of ours fell, as we say sometimes from grace. What if that might have been us, ourselves? Sound familiar to any of us? It just didn't start that way, but it didn't take long for it to, to go that way as we fell prey to our humanity. But going back to David, David was indeed the greatest king to rule over Israel. He's remarked as that down through the annals of not only Jewish history, but our Christian history as well. But he indeed found this true for himself 
that sometimes it is far easier to follow God in suffering rather than following God in success. David found himself that it is far easier to follow God in suffering rather than in success. This may seem strange to us, but but just listen to the life of David. How many of us, though, at the basic level of our being, know that, that this is true? Because I can certainly say, in many times in my lives, in most times in my life, my closest times with the Lord have come through the times that I seemed like I was suffering the greatest, that I was hurt the worst, that I felt like my heart was pulled from the very depths of my chest. And I would tell people, this is when I've needed the Lord the most. Have you ever said that? Ever thought that? If I sure needed God, this was the time I needed Him the most. But I want to tell you, Lord, uh, tell, not Lord, but I want to tell you people that the Lord would have us flip that on its head. Because He knows the time that we need Him the most is when everything seems to be going well. That's the time we really need Him the most. When everything seems to be going well and going our way, and we're walking in our own paths. Things seem like they couldn't be any better, but the honest truth is they really could be better. And they could be better because God could be taking a larger role in my life if only I would simply allow Him. God never left me in the midst of my success, in the midst of my joys, when I feel like everything is going well, but yet I chose to leave His presence, relying on, his, on my abilities and my own efforts. But yet, unlike the Lord, my goodness runs out. Your goodness runs out too at a certain point. And David's surely ran out as well. You see, David knew what it meant to have both suffering and success in his life. And the Psalms clearly depict this as as William so wonderfully read from Psalm 30 this morning. Over half of the Psalms were written by David. And of these, half were just spent praising the Lord. And then the other half were spent begging for the Lord to save him from whatever travesty that was taking place around him. In fact, I believe this is really more than than half. David spends begging, asking God, please, save me. If you care, Lord, he says, save me. But I believe that if our life was like David, we would have spent a little bit of time begging God to save us if we had spent roughly the first 15 years of our kingship running for our life. Though David was anointed as king over Israel by the prophet Samuel at the age of 15, you don't want a 15-year-old ruling your country, do you? Sometimes you don't want some adults ruling your country, you know, ruling your place. 15 years old, David's family thought it was odd. Samuel, is, was, he was even thinking, this is odd. Going down from the oldest to the youngest saying, Lord, who's it going to be? Who are you going to pick to be king? When finally, when the Lord gave confirmation, there came the answer that Samuel rejoiced over. The 15-year-old David, he anointed as king. But he did not begin his 
reign as king officially over Israel until the age of 30. For 15 years, Saul still reigned as king in the eyes of the people and even in the eyes of himself. But God had rejected him as king for those 15 years and Saul knew about it and he sure was not happy about it. For the better part of those 15 years, Saul pursued David passionately, trying to kill him. Now that is suffering. That that really is a unique brand of suffering. Now after Saul had died, David was finally able to fully take his place as king over Israel. And there were still some issues between the people and the followers of Saul. But the scriptures tell us in 2 Samuel chapter 3 and verse 1, that the war between the house of Saul and the house of David lasted a long time. David grew stronger and stronger while the house of Saul grew weaker and weaker. This is what it means to have the Lord in your life. This is what it means to have the calling of the Lord, the anointing of the Lord upon your life. We go stronger and stronger while those of the world grow weaker and weaker. From that point on, David was victorious in every way. In 2 Samuel chapter 4, David took the city of Jerusalem from the control of the Jebusites and he defeated the Philistines, which led to his bringing back the ark of the Lord into the midst of the people of God where it was properly placed. In chapter 7, God promised David that his house and his kingdom would endure forever before the Lord. That his throne would be established forever. What a wonderful blessing to receive this from the Lord. A blessing to which David replied, Now be pleased to bless the house of your servant, that it may continue forever in your sight. For you, sovereign Lord, have spoken, and with your blessing the house of your servant will be blessed forever. What indeed great joy to hear such a thing from the Lord. What a wonderful response that he had. Then we read in chapter 8 how David defeated so many nations, peoples, and kings that the victories get their own chapter. (laughs) Wouldn't that be wonderful? So many victories in our life that it just gets its own chapter in what is instilled for people to follow us as our days have gone. Verse 15 of 2 Samuel chapter 8 says that David reigned over all Israel, doing what was just and right for all his people. What a wonderful thing to be said of someone. What a wonderful thing to be remembered for. It was chapter 8. Then chapter 9 shows the kind-hearted and good-hearted nature and spirit of David. And chapter 10 shows us again the might of David's leadership in battle against the Arameans and the Amorites. Things could not be better, he's thinking to himself. All these chapters we read of the success and the good things that are happening in David's life. Things could not be better, so it seems, in his own mind. But then it only takes one chapter to change everything. I want you to listen if you'd like to turn. You may certainly do that to 2 Samuel chapter 11. And I want us to hear what what happened 
in this chapter that changed everything. 2 Samuel chapter 11, beginning in verse 1. In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Amorites and besieged Rahab. But David remained in Jerusalem. One evening, David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful. And David sent someone to find out about her. The man said, She is Bathsheba, the daughter of Islam, and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Then David sent messengers to get her. She came to him, and he slept with her. Now she was purifying herself from her monthly uncleanliness. Then she went back home. The woman conceived and sent word to David saying, I am pregnant. Talk about words that change everything, don't they? Those words either bring great joy into someone's life or sometimes it brings great terror. And all I have to say is, my, how how fast things can change. But sadly for David, things got worse. Maybe we can relate to that on some level. We don't think it could get any worse, but then, then it does. You see, David heard that Bathsheba was pregnant as a result of their affair. And David knew that if this news got out, that he would be exposed, ridiculed, and possibly even dethroned. How could anyone trust an adulterer as the king over Israel, as the king underneath the Lord himself. And he in his own mind certainly thought that he could not have any of that. After trying to get rid of Uriah, Bathsheba's husband, he tried to get him to to go home and, and be with his wife, of which David was unsuccessful in getting Uriah to do because Uriah was a man of much honor. And when David told him to go home, no, he slept with the servants at the entrance of the temple feeling it wasn't right for him to go home and be with his wife and enjoy the benefits of a married man when all of his other compadres were out on the field fighting for the sake of the kingdom. Yet David, who was supposed to be there, was certainly not lamenting the fact that that he wasn't. Staying back, going on the roof when he knows He should not be there. Uriah's honor outwitted David in that moment when he couldn't get him to go home. So David decided to devise another plan of which he was very successful in eliminating Uriah because of his honor at doing whatever the king commanded. This is where I want us to pick up. 2 Samuel chapter 11 beginning in verse 26. When Uriah's wife heard that her husband was dead, she mourned for him. And after the time of mourning was over, David had her brought to his house and she became his wife and bore him a son. But the thing David had done displeased the Lord. The Lord sent Nathan the prophet to David When he came to him, he said, There were two men in a certain town, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe 
lamb that he had bought. He raised it and it grew up with him and his children. It shared his food, drank from his cup, and even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveler who had come to him. Instead, he took the ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for the one who had come to him. David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, As surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this must die. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. Then Nathan said to David, You, you are this man. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, I anointed you king over Israel and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave your master's house to you and your master's wives into your arms. I gave you all of Israel and Judah, and if this had been too little, I would have given you even more. Why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in my eyes? You struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and took his wife to be your own. You killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now, therefore, the sword will never depart from your house because you despised me and took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own. This is what the Lord says. Out of your own household, I am going to bring calamity on you. Before your very eyes, I will take your wives and give them to one who is close to you, and he will sleep with your wives in broad daylight. You, will do, you did it in secret, but I will do this thing in broad daylight before all of Israel. Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan replied, the Lord has taken away your sin. You are not going to die. But because you, by doing this thing, have shown utter contempt for the Lord, the son born to you will die. Very tragic, this occasion on so many levels. So terrible this is. But despite the terrible things that David has done, what changed everything were these simple words, I have sinned against the Lord. I have sinned against the Lord. These words changed everything. In our eyes, David did two despicable things. He committed adultery, and he murdered someone. If you want to throw into a third category, as Nathan did, I think it's despicable that he took something that he had no right to. It was the only thing Uriah had. But yet he wanted it so bad that he took it anyway, and he felt like he could. That envy, that lust, that jealousy that he thought that he could get away with. How despicable these things are. And in our minds sometimes we tend to rank sins, don't we? We kind of have a list, don't we? Let's just be honest. You don't have to shake your head. You don't have to say amen. We certainly don't need to say amen to that. <laughs> but we have a list, don't we? As I read a couple weeks ago, Martha Peace, the Christian counselor, says, I find that most people have a line that they won't cross when it comes to sin. There are things that we will do, but things that we will Never, never do. 
we think in our own minds that, that these things are just too bad. Adultery and, and murder. Just too bad. But despite how we might feel about these things about David, how we might feel about these things in the world and people that we know, people that we encounter, people that we see on Facebook, people that we read of in the newspaper, we see on TV, despite how despicable we think these such things are, David still heard these words and people today can still hear these words if only they tell the Lord, I have sinned against you. David heard, they can hear, and we can hear, the Lord has taken away your sin. Praise God. The minute our heart becomes soft to what we have done, to how bad we have hurt, how bad we have destroyed our lives and the lives of others, if we simply come to God and we mean it, we say, Lord, I have sinned. God will tell us that He has taken our sin away. Just because we rank sins, know that God does not. No matter how foul we may believe some sin to be in someone else's life or even in our lives, I want to tell us that sin is the same in God's eyes. It is all on the same level. It is all as despicable as it is to God from murder to the littlest of white lies that you tell somebody who is close to you. Church, it's all the same in the eyes of the Lord. And because it's all the same, it can all be forgiven in the exact same way by the blood of Jesus, if only we'll ask. But the question is, have you asked? Have you asked for the forgiveness of God? And if you haven't asked, my next question is, will you? If you haven't asked for the grace of God, will you? In just a moment, we are going to pray and ask the Lord so honest a question each of us ask. Lord, forgive me. Lord, forgive me. Maybe in your life you have struggled with a sin that has plagued you and maybe still plagues you. You have tried to cover it up, maybe because you enjoyed it. Maybe because you were embarrassed. Or maybe because you were afraid of the hurt and the shame that it might bring to you or, or to someone, someone else. But I need to remind us today of the poignancy of the Scripture that tells us, Behold, you have sinned against the Lord, and be sure that your sin will find you out. Our unconfessed sins, they will find us. They will destroy us. It doesn't care who you are or what you've done. Satan waits with that sin at the right moment to destroy us. For the past two weeks, I'm going to make it a third, I have quoted this remark from the New Interpreter's Bible Commentary. So powerful when I first read it. Despair is sin's only rival in leading men to God. Despair is sin's only rival in leading men to God, I would simply like to submit that despair seems to be sin's only rival in leading men to God because it does not have to be. Church, maybe today you are in despair from some sin 
that is in your life that is causing separation between you and the Lord. If you are in despair, I pray that you will confess it today. But even if you're not at the point of despair, I still tell you, you need to confess it. Whenever we look at the holiness of God, whenever we look at Him and His character, whenever we look at Him and His goodness, and we see the sin that's in our life, it should provoke us, Lord, I don't want to be like me anymore. I don't want to be like the world. I don't want to be like my cravings. My evil desires, Lord, I want to be like you. Let us not wait for despair to bring us to our knees. Let us willingly fall to our knees. Because looking at God couldn't cause us to do anything else but. Church, why not confess today? If you're in despair, God's grace will cover it, whatever it is. If you are in despair in your life, God's grace will cover it. You can walk out of here, not even walk out of here. The very moment you ask for the forgiveness of God, it will cover you. Good, clean, then, now. We don't have to wait. If you're in despair, it's okay. Well, it's not okay, but, but God can make it better. God can give you abundant life despite the thing that's trying to keep it from you. But if there's something that's nagging and something that's there, something you know that's just not the holiness of God, the goodness of God that's in your life, maybe you haven't been found out yet, well, why not confess it today? Because that'll keep despair from dropping you to your knees later. You see, God wants to forgive anyone who will ask, and especially before our sin totally exposes us because church it will why wait until the proverbial poo hits the fan and makes a mess in your life before you confess it to God do not do like David it went from bad to worse in an instant it seemed like the natural progression of events in his mind and it does to us too sin starts to make sense until we look at the holiness of God and we see just how wrong we really were. Why wait until total despair to put our past where it should be? Exactly there in the past. This week I stumbled across this great quote from somebody I didn't expect to hear it from, but someone I highly respect, and I believe you do too. This person said, I firmly believe that in every situation, no matter how difficult, that God extends grace greater than the hardship and strength and peace of mind that can lead us to a place higher than we were before. The great philosopher Andy Griffith. <laughs> but how right he was. How right he was in saying this, that God's grace can take us to a higher plane a better place than we are right now. Church, today somebody needs to pray like David did and ask the Lord to break them, to break us, to break the spirit of contrition that holds us from confessing our sins and living in the full measure of the freedom of Christ that He has offered us. God wants to desperately take us to a higher plane of forgiveness, but church, we have to want to go there. We have to want to leave the low places of sin and rest in the arms of our friend who's in high places. 
See, church, Jesus understands our weakness and our susceptibility to sin because He lived as a man, yet, do not be fooled, He did not sin. He can sympathize with our weakness, but He cannot empathize with us. He does not know what it's like to sin, but He understands how difficult it was. He walked around with drunks, with tax collectors, with despicable people. He walked around with prostitutes and thieves. He sympathizes with sin. He wants to hang out with people like you and me. I don't know about y'all, but I have to go around other people to increase my reputation. I need to be hanging out with Jesus more, don't you? Church, we need Him to fill our life. Because we are so susceptible to sin, and He knows that. That's why He came. That's why He gave His life. And why he rose in newness of life so we would know a life better than one that's entrenched in sin. In fact, Jesus himself came from a long line of sinners in his earthly heritage of which David was one. He was the kingdom that God said would be established forever in David. Isn't that amazing? Do you also know that in Jesus' lineage was a prostitute? Rahab? From the city of Jericho, you remember that? Church, God can forgive us. God has forgiven murderers, adulterers. He's forgiven prostitutes and thieves. He's even forgiven people who are little white liars. He has done it before, and He will do it again. God's grace will never run out. There is no limit to it. There is nothing that stops us and nothing that keeps us from it except for ourselves there is nothing that keeps us from God except for ourselves because how can God use anyone that isn't broken for him see God has to break through the pride he has to break through the anger the hostility the sin the strife. He has to break through those things before he can break in. God works the best when there's the biggest mess, so it seems. But he can't come until we confess. Until we say, Lord, I need you. I need you. See, God cannot wait to forgive our sins, but He won't until we ask. But He desperately wants to. Because He wants us to live in freedom from sin. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Yet all are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. I love how William talked about grace in the Psalms. Because grace is all over it. David understood grace because he asked for it. And every time he asked from a pure heart, broken spirit, guess what? He received it. Church, today, we can receive that same grace too. Every single one of us who ask. So here's what we're going to do. What words, right? Well, now he wants me to participate. Well, 
I, I need to say that God is calling you here. This is not my calling. This is the Lord calling us to this place. This is for those of you who haven't been here before. This is not a normal, typical thing that, that we do. We don't do this every week. But I believe that when we're talking about prayer, church, I think we need to pray. Don't you? Don't you? <laughs> Good. I'm glad we agree. That's important. <laughs> At this time, Gary is going to come and he's going to start passing out uh, a, a post-it notepad. And I would just ask that you take one piece of paper off that post-it note and pass it down. Just, just take one post-it note and pass it down across the row. We only have nine and we have nine rows, so we need to be able to to pass them just across. So somebody who's at the end, if you would just get up and pass it to the person who's, who's at the end of the other row. When you receive that paper, I would ask that you please not do anything with it for now. That page is blank. That page is blank because that is what God has in store for you. In just a moment, we are going to pray. In fact, I'm going to pray this psalm just as it is, Psalm 51, as a prayer like David prayed, asking God to create in us a pure heart and to break us. That's exactly what we're going to do, is we're going to pray this psalm and we're going to ask God to break us. Because church, I need to tell you something. If you live in this world, you have sinned. You will sin, and there's probably a sin struggle in your life right now. I say that because there's one here. People at the top are not impervious, yet at constant fire all the time. There is something in my life that I want God to do something with, and I don't mind telling you, I mind, it's laziness. Making a, and not because I'm lazy, I mean I do my work. That's part of the problem. I get so busy doing the work of the Lord, that I forget about the Lord of the work. And I become spiritually dry sometimes because I'm so busy doing everything else that I get lazy in the spiritual things that really matter. Because that's what empowers me to do this. That's what empowers me to lead and to stay strong whenever things come my way. Like for David. Not that that has happened and I pray that does not. It wouldn't be the first time. We have to stand strong. Mine, mine's laziness. And I'm not asking you to tell, to tell anybody. In fact, I don't want you to. Unless you want someone to pray with you. What you have put on this piece of paper. But I don't want you to do it yet. Maybe God's already told you. I, I don't know. I don't want you to do this quite yet. Because I want to pray this psalm. And I want you to hear God tell you what to put on that piece of paper. The one thing or maybe things that God is saying, these things are keeping you from me. These are keeping you from living in the fullness of life. And I want us to do this silently. The praise team's not coming back up. This is how we're ending the service. But I want you to hear me very clearly. Listen in. So everybody kind of... Don't rush this. Don't rush this. The food's not that good. 
not as good as this. Do not rush this. Now don't think because it doesn't take a long time that you feel like you haven't done what you're supposed to do. For some it's not going to be very long. For others it's going to take a little while. Because here's what I'd like. I'd like us, when we, when we pray this prayer, I want us to, fold, to have that piece of paper in our hands like this. And I want us to pray, when I pray that psalm, and in our heart, say, Lord, what do you want me to write on this piece of paper? What do you want me to write on this piece of paper? And then whenever he does, whenever that time comes, because I'm going to stop praying and I'm going to step back. In fact, I'm going to go outside and I'm going to burn mine first because I've already had my time of prayer. Because I want to be here to pray with you all. In fact, Brother Gary and I are going to be here that whenever you go outside, there's going to be a fire, and you burn that piece of paper, we're going to be up front waiting to receive anybody who wants to pray. If you want to pray on your own about what's going on and talk to God, that is fine. But listen to me. Listen to me. If you have not accepted Christ and that's what the Lord is telling you to burn your past and embrace Him in newness of life, you got to tell somebody. you got to come up here and you have to say, I want to accept Jesus Christ. You have to confess Him before men is what the Scripture tells us to do. You don't have to come up here if there's something you and the Lord need to take care of yourself, but if He's directing you to salvation, you've got to come up here and you've got to talk to somebody. Church, I... I'm impassioned about this because if you really will just take time and just ask the Lord, He's going to show you something. Whenever that something comes, fold that piece of paper up. Fold that piece of paper up. Walk out these doors with that, bear, that weight bearing on your shoulders. Put that thing in the fire and watch it burn up instantly. Because when you give it to the Lord, he says, your sin is gone. That fire represents the burnt offering that David's talking about. As soon as that is offered, as soon as it's in the fire, it's gone. No more guilt, no more shame, no more hurt, it's gone. You might have to deal with the consequences of some of the sin, but in God's eyes, it's gone, and that's what really matters. The Bible tells us not to fear the one who can harm the body but not the soul. No, fear the one who can throw the body and the soul in the depths of hell. Don't live forever with that guilt on your shoulders. Don't carry it forever. I was going to give some examples of what it is, but I don't need to because God will tell you. It could be as something as, as strong as adultery. I hope not murder. You need to tell somebody about that. You need to confess that to God and to men. But if it's something like adultery, give it up. But it could be as something as simple as you're letting worry steal your joy. Church, that's a sin. Something is just bothering you so much. Maybe there's a conflict between you and somebody else. Maybe you're not able to forgive someone. Church, that's a sin. That's got to go. We've got to be able to forgive. There are so many things that we can give up. Again, we don't typically do this. I know this is different. But we're technically letting out at the same time. And I need to tell you, you are free to go anytime you want to. You don't have to stay. If you don't want to participate in this, you're more than welcome to leave. I just simply ask when you leave to go through those fellowship hall doors instead because they make less noise when they close. Okay? Really. Go out those fellowship hall doors whenever you choose to leave. Stay here as long as you like. We're going to stay until you're done. 
Just wander to the missions meeting whenever you want to, whatever that is. This is the most important thing we can do right now. And so I'm going to pray this prayer of the psalm over us, and I want it to be your prayer too. As you hold that piece of paper in your hands, and you ask the Lord what I need to write on this, and then let Him tell you, walk outside, burn it up, and leave this place clean. And if you need to talk to someone and pray with somebody, Gary and I are here. We're going first. So, let us pray. Hands out, receiving from the Lord. Lord, what do we need to confess? And when we do, Lord, have mercy on us, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out our transgressions and wash away our iniquity and cleanse us from our sins. For we know that our transgressions are many. Our sins are always before us. Against you and you only have we sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and your judgment, Lord, when you judge us. Surely we were sinful at birth. Sinful from the time that our mothers conceived us. Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. And you taught us wisdom in that secret place. Cleanse us with hyssop, Lord, and we will be clean. Wash us and we'll be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness and let the bones that you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from our sins, O Lord, and blot out our iniquities. Create in us a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within us. Do not cast us from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from us. Restore to us the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain us. Lord, then, then we will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. Deliver us from the guilt of bloodshed, O God. You who are God my Savior and my tongue will, will sing of your righteousness. Our tongues will proclaim your praise. Lord, open our lips. Open our mouths to declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in, in burnt offerings. My sacrifice instead, O God, is a broken spirit. Our sacrifice, Lord, is a broken spirit of whatever you'll lay on our hearts. We bring a broken and contrite heart to you, O God, and that you don't despise. May it please you to prosper your people, O God, and build us up. Then you'll delight in the sacrifices of the righteous and in these burnt offerings that we are sacrificing to you, these papers on your altar, O Lord.